Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right up. That. Biblical, biblical, theology, theology, study, the person of God, attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet, so please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology, that phrase alone that gives some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough, uh-huh. just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical Nobody wants to be all cold and theological But being a theologian's not optional Cause when you talk about Christ You're saying something doctrinal Either it accurately portrays his majesty Or it's a travesty Or worse, blasphemy You can do a global search This mark is crucial to the health of a local church The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we gotta see The importance of biblical theology What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key It's following the Bible storyline And the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine What he starts, he finishes with dedication A work of art, from Genesis to Revelation From God's creation To man's fall, to redemption, to consummation His designs and structure, each time will fluster What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses Who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes So clever we behold his endeavors unfold The greatest story ever told The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we gotta See the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction yeah. and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our death, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. another edition of Theology Matters, and I am your host, Devin Palou, and uh, my lovely bride uh, is not uh, going to be able to make it with us tonight. We've got, 
got the little one that uh, has to be fed and taken care of, so you know how that goes. Uh, but it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, got a great show today. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Word of Faith movement. And, uh, you know, I've been wanting to do a, do a show on this for a very long time uh, because I think it's, I think it's dangerous, and I think it, uh, it affects a lot of evangelical Christianity. And so, you know, we've done shows on Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam. Um, I'm, I'm not putting that in the same category as those, but uh, I do think it's, it, it's very dangerous. So we do want to show you guys how to uh, respond to some of the um, uh, arguments that are, that are put forth. I guess you could even call them arguments normally. They're just uh, stated, but they're not arguments. Um, Let's see, little little housekeeping. Uh, if you've not liked our Facebook page, you can go to facebook.com slash theology matters with the Palouse. Facebook.com slash theology matters with the Palouse. We have a lot of our uh, podcasts there if you've not heard them. Uh, several debates that we've done. Uh, we've done shows with Roman Catholic versus Protestant on Sola Scriptura. We did a debate on Calvinism versus Arminianism between uh, two pro- pro- philosophy uh, guys as well as uh, did a debate on um, hell and uh, whether or not the Bible teaches annihilationism with Chris Date and Michael Willenborg. So check out our page. We've got a lot of good shows on there. Uh, Real quickly, coming up next week, we're actually going to be doing another debate uh, with a gentleman who runs uh, the Facebook page, the um, Agnostic Atheist is the name of the page. And um, he's going to be on and uh, going to do a, a conversation-style debate with Shandon Guthrie. And uh, Shandon is a, a brilliant apologist. He's a philosopher at Las Vegas and uh, just a brilliant guy. So tune, tune in again next week uh, for that show. It'll be, it'll be a good show. So on to today's show. Uh, we're going to only be going till, uh an hour and a half today, so... Gotta gotta get on with the show, but our guest is is uh, a guy that I've I've read uh, his blog as Pyromaniacs for quite a while, and uh, I'm just telling him before the show I'm his biggest fan. Uh, his name is Frank Turk, and he is a conference speaker. And um, sorry about that, got some stuff popping up. Uh, he's a conference speaker on a variety of different topics dealing with theology, evangelism, biblical worldview and issues concerning uh, the local church. Best known for his contributions uh, to Christian blogging as a contributor First Things and the Pyromaniacs blog founded by Phil Johnson from Grace to You. So, uh, Frank, are you there? I'm here, Devin. Thanks for having me today. Oh, great to have you. I uh, really appreciate you, appreciate you joining us. I'm sure that... Uh, this is going to be a topic that uh, a lot of our listeners have been wanting to hear about, and you know, prayerfully, it'll be something that God will use to uh, maybe help those who are in the Word of Faith and uh, equip Christians to deal with uh, maybe with friends that they have that are that are kind of in this movement. So, before we get going, did I leave anything out? Uh, I believe you got kids in that. Is that right? 
Oh yeah, I'm married. I have a couple of kids. Uh, I work for a living. You know, I'm not I'm not a full time conference speaker. I, I think I really only speak at one conference on a regular basis. Uh, there's uh, things I've done, but uh, mostly, you know, I've, I've, I'm just a, a guy who really sort of uh, compulsively writes, and I write about things that I care about. And it turns out that uh, you know the things that I care about are really uh, about Jesus. You know, about about Jesus and the local church and how men and women fit in there and uh you know when you're involved when you're when you consider things like that you can see how other things affect those those core issues you know when you when you think about what the gospel is suddenly you can see all the things that the gospel is not or that are not the gospel if we can put it that way and and those are the those are the kinds of things i try to write about because i think at the end of the day that's that's how you get people to be more faithful to God is, is by help, helping them to think more clearly about the things that God really wants and the God, the things that God really wants for us so we can want those things more. Yeah, you know, I like how you said it's important that we think clearly about these issues. And, you know, one of the things with the, with the Word of Faith movement I've noticed is, uh, you know, emotions can run high. And yep. a lot of people are biblical until you start uh, attacking their favorite celebrity preacher. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, we all have blind spots. I, I know I have mine as well. I knew what they were. Obviously, they wouldn't be blind. Uh, but we all have them. And so, you know, as we as we do this show, uh, folks, I would just say, uh, you know, the Bible is the final uh, arbitrator of truth in all things that are said, what I say, what Frank says. What anyone says has to be tested against uh, the scriptures, and so uh, we're not trying to personally attack anybody, uh, it's, it's really ultimately because we love people, and, and love is to will the best for, for the good of the yep. other person, and uh, yep, having, people exactly. caught up in, yeah, having people caught up in false theology is, is not uh, loving someone, if, if you know it and you let them, let them stay there. Well, I think that it's also, you know, Devin, I think that the thing that people also need to understand, and I think a lot of people misunderstand this pretty well, is, is that one of the key truths of the, of, of the Christian life really is, uh, if we can put it in, in the most basic terms, is nobody's perfect, you know? And, and if that's true, if it's true that there are no people who are perfect, then, then one of the calls of the Christian life, as Martin Luther said, is to live in constant repentance. So in order to repent, we have to recognize these, these places where we make a mistake and, and accept them and say, okay, well, okay, how do I know that this is wrong? And I think you did a great job of saying it. Well, we know it's wrong because of the, what God tells us. And God doesn't tell us these things uh, sort of, uh, as, as, as Dan Phillips has said, you know, as, as sort of uh, mumblings under, under his breath. He, he tells us in his word what is and isn't true, and we have to go to his word so that we can be fixed, you know, that, that as, as R.C. Sproul makes his ministry, you know, that our mind can be re- renewed. So as we think about apologetics in general and we think about this subject, you know, I, I think that people need to come to it, uh, you know, with, with that kind of humility, not humility because Frank said it or because Devin said it, but humility because there is, there is something wrong with our theology, okay, and there's some, there are things wrong with my theology. I'm grateful when people point them out to me, you know, I'll, I'll – I'll challenge them. I'll, I'll work through it with them to find out what it is they're really trying to tell me. But, but challenging and not being accepting are two different things. So, 
you know, if, if, if in the course of this discussion, if it, what Devin and I talk about today are not, uh, um, you know, if it doesn't appeal to you the first time you hear it, let me, let me just challenge you on something. There is going to be a grain of truth here that you can plug into your life and be a better servant of Christ from it. And uh, if, if that's what really happens today, then, then this time was well spent. Uh, real quickly before we start, you know, one of the things uh, that often uh, people who are into apologetics and theology are accused of is kind of uh, having all head and, and no heart and just kind of this cold faith. Why should Christians care about theology? And why should, why should Christians um, be engaged in apologetics? Is apologetics just something for the, the theologian uh, to get involved in, or is apologetics something that all Christians uh, should know at least something about? Well, that's a, that is a great question. I was actually thinking about that as we were listening to your, uh, to your opening rap there, uh, Devin. And, and I think that there's a couple of things to say there. And I think, first of all, the critique that there are apologists who are all head and no heart is a fair critique. I don't think it's fair to say that's true of every apologist, but I think that it's true to say that that, that stereotype comes from a true place. All right? There are a lot of people who are more engaged in theology as a pursuit for its own end than there ought to be, and, and those people should repent. So I think that that's, that's, a, that's the first thing we should say there. We should own the fact that sometimes good things, like a th- theology and apologetics, can be taken to the wrong place, and in doing so, it causes people to do wrong things. I mean, there's a, you know, I, I was reading something today earlier which, which made me think about this, because the writer was saying that holiness is a good thing, but when we overstress holiness, we, we fall into legalism. I mean, people don't mm. become legalists because they love the law so much. They become legalists right. because they put holiness out of perspective from the other things that God has, which are mercy and love and, and, uh, and you know, goodness. I mean, th- these are all things that, uh, that come together in God, and we have to find the way, not necessarily the middle way on all these things, but the ways in which they fit together. So when we think about apologetics, not getting too off the, far off the original question, the, the other problem, though, that we have is that there are no Christians who don't have a theology. People who tell you that they don't have a theology really don't understand what theology is because as soon as you say the word God or, or you cr- construct a sentence that says God is or God is not, you're dealing with theology. And just because... You, you don't see it that way doesn't mean it's not true. So when we think about anything about God, anything about Jesus, anything that would make us a Christian, we're thinking about theology. The question is, what is theology for? What's it for? You know, and I think that, that, that right. Paul tells us really, when he writes to Timothy, and he says, the aim of my charge is love from a good conscience and good faith. I think that that's when Paul sums up what theology is for. Theology teaches us about God so that we can be what God wants us to be. So if we, if we abandon the idea that there's any theology, we're going we're gonna to lose all of the ways in which we can self-correct. And if we overemphasize theology, we're going to forget that theology is not an end. It's a means. Amen. And I, you know, I like uh, what Dr. Sproul says is that uh, everyone is, is a theologian. Uh, the question is, are you a good one or are you a bad one? <laughs> because right. uh, you're a theologian whether you, whether you recognize it or not. And the goal, of course, is to be a good one. 
So without yep, uh, going the, too much too much further, Frank, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Word of Faith movement. What is it? And you know where did it come from? And and why should Christians be concerned about it? Well, you know, that's that, uh, first of all, Devin, it's interesting you invited me on because this is not one of my – this is one of those things that I, I see all the time, and it doesn't interest me because it's so far out of the normal experience of me going to church, but it's pervasive in our culture. I mean, there would not be a Trinity Broadcasting Network without the Word of Faith movement. There's no question about it. If you extracted all of the Word of Faith things that happened in Trinity Broadcasting, there'd be nothing left. There'd certainly be no way for them to raise any money. Okay, It'd so be, so this be is Charles Stanley on there, right? <laughs> exactly, Charles Stanley and the occasional uh, what, what's the what's the young fellow's name? The actor who used to be on. Uh, um, oh yeah, Kurt, what is his name? <laughs> Kurt Cameron. Yeah, the occasional... yeah, Way of the Master and Charles Stanley, twenty-four hours a day. Yeah, which I mean, how bad would that be, really? That wouldn't be that bad. It's you know, pretty straight no, Southern no, Baptist no. sort of. Uh, you know, you know, okay, that that probably be a lot better than what they have today. But but you know, in, in saying in saying that, you know, let's uh, uh, let me, I, I was trying to think of of a way to kind of shortly summarize this for people, and and the way that I came up with this is Roger Olson back in I think it was in September wrote a piece about uh, about this word of faith movement, and for those people who don't know, Roger Olson is a professor of theology at Baylor. Professor at a at a women's Pentecostal university. I mean, he's you know he he, he talks about something that maybe that university isn't as engaged in as it should be. But uh, he's a professor of theology at Baylor. He has written if you're a, if you want to know what are, what you really should know about Arminian theology, you should read his book on Arminian theology because it it, it eliminates all the stereotypes and it gives you a good historical understanding and theological understanding over of what Arminian theology is really trying to accomplish. So he's a pretty bright guy, okay? But he comes yeah. from, his father was a Pentecostal minister, okay? His, his father was the pastor of Pentecostal churches, and as he grew up, they kind of became United Methodists, and then he went to Germany and became a, a, a PhD, and when he got out of his PhD program, his first the first place that he was teaching that had an opening that he could fill was at Oral Roberts University in 1984, okay? So, so this, and, and, you know, 1984, Oral Roberts University, that's like ground zero for this stuff. Um, right. so, so he's there, and he, he kind of witnessed it firsthand, okay? And, and in his view of it, okay, this is, this is how he would sum up. The essence of the movement is that God promises that if you have positive faith, and truly believe, and speak that faith with your mouth in positive af- affirmations. For example, God is my source of healing and prosperity, and I am well, and I am rich. Uh, then God is obliged, he's obliged to heal you and give you financial blessings beyond your wildest dreams. It isn't always stated that badly, but that's the essence of it, especially as it is heard in many of the adherents. There are, of course, degrees to it. You know, Robert's version was called seed faith. It was mild compared to some of the people that Robert's actually invited to chapel to speak. And I've got an example here if we, if we ever get around to it. But, you know, uh, the essential message is that God will give you abundance, meaning well-being in every sense, if you exercise faith in him for that abundance by speaking it into existence. So, A. 
in Olson's summary there, and I think in any good summary of this, find that what what people what what the people who who advocate for this are saying is that God has a special plan for your life and wants you to live it. But for you to live it, you have to speak the words of its truth into existence. And it's funny because this all comes from a belief that we are just like God. And since God, with words and a mouth, spoke the universe into existence, we, who are made in the image of God, can therefore speak reality into existence. Right. Scary. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying because, because because you have to ask yourself, so in what way is that Christian? I mean, that that, that kind of theology, it actually comes from, uh, uh, let's see, let me see if I, uh, E.W. Kenyon wrote about this, I think, in the late 19th century, and and some of this was seeped into early 20th, 20th century. It even goes farther back than that because it, it's sort of a shamanism. I mean, in, in a way, it's, it's, it's saying that somehow words have a power beyond being merely words and that, that somebody can be in, embodied with power to make for their words to bend reality. Instead of words being a, descri- a describer of reality, words are actually the dictator of reality. Um, and it, wow. it, I just don't understand how that's the Christian message. You know, The Christian message turns out to be that people are not in control of reality, because they broke reality, and now they have a broken relationship with God, which if it doesn't get fixed, God is going to punish them for. You know, and, and then the, the Christian message is that Jesus is the one who pays that price. So, you know, that's the Christian message. So this stuff getting laid over on top of that, it's, uh, it, it completely obscures the actual message of being a Christian. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the beauties of, of sound biblical theology is understanding the proper view of God and understanding the proper view of man. And uh, yes. it seems to me, within the Word of Faith movement, that God is kind of lowered and man is elevated. Start out on the wrong foundation, then, uh, then you're going to get it wrong uh, a, a lot of times. And uh, it's important that, uh, as, as Christians, we have a biblical view of man and a biblical view of God, a high view of God, Love you, man. Uh, so, gotta ha- gotta start with the with the right foundation, and uh, that would be that God is the one who is who is sovereign and and, uh, and in control of, of all things. Yep, uh, that's that's exactly right. And and I think you know so I, you know you you the more you read about this, people say the same things over and over again about it. But that's that's exactly right. It puts it puts God actually below man. It makes it makes God man's servant rather than God's sovereign. And uh, and it and it makes somehow God the, the waiter for all of your desires, and and that's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think of the the one who created the universe that way. Well, let me ask you, Frank. You know, when we when I when I talk with Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and I'm not putting the word of faith people in that camp. I, I I believe there's a lot of you know them that are saved. But for example, when I talk to a Mormon. And I say, uh, you know, do you believe Jesus is God? They say, well, of course we believe Jesus is God. Uh, but, of course, it's a different Jesus. And so what's happening a lot, is a lot of times we're equivocating on words. And what I see sure. in word of faith theology, we use the same words, but there's a lot of different meanings important. So, for example, with uh, the word of faith, when they talk about the, uh, the force of faith or having faith in God or having faith that God is going to do something, they don't really necessarily mean like, 
like we mean it, do they? I mean, maybe you could you could talk about the what their view is of like the the force of faith. Yeah, see, that's interesting because if in those who have studied the word of faith closely, they the 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 one um, the the one thing that they say about it. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at a little a drop sheet here from the folks over at Watchman Fellowship. Uh, they've got the, the, the key doctrines laid out here, and uh, the one thing I think that, that is important to understand is, is this um, this analogy that, that I, I drew out in, in the previous little thing that I said. Okay, and it's that in one sense, because God speaks words with His mouth, man can speak words with His mouth. And those two things come together. But they don't just say that God speaks, speaks words. They say that God speaks words of faith. And, and what they mean by that is that somehow God's power is encapsulated or somehow packaged in, these, in this, in this uh, metaphysical uh, you know, sausage or whatever it is that, that's called faith, that somehow God's power is this thing called faith. So when God speaks words of faith, things happen in the world. So if you speak words in faith, you have somehow piggybacked on or imported God's power into your being, and now you're able to create the faith sausage. That's a, a, a weird changing of what the word faith means. Because we would agree that the word that faith is some kind of power. I mean, that's what it says in Romans 1, right, that, 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 that uh, we're not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power to save, right? And, and that right, faith right. is somehow tied to, you know, really harnessed to that, that it's, 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 by, it's by, what is it, by grace through faith, right, that we are saved. Right. And, it's, and, it's, and, and we believe that faith has a power, but it is not the power. It's not the category of God's power. Hmm. That's good. That, that, is, that, is, that is very good. And I think we would also say that God is not uh, somehow handcuffed or bound uh, by these, these laws of faith. Because it, it seems to me, you know, as I've studied uh, a little bit on this, uh, it kind of, the whole thing kind of hinges around this idea of the force of faith. And this is kind of how you move God to do this or, or other certain things. And almost, I mean, I think if you take it to the logical conclusion, um, if we all have this power to, to do this, then even the bad things that happen is really kind of my fault because I'm not using this force, force of faith or, uh, you know, using the tools properly that God has, that God has given me. And I, you know, I remember uh, a clip with Miles Monroe, and he's saying that basically God cannot do anything in this universe unless we, we give him permission. So the whole That's kind of force of faith thing seems to be... Uh, the center of this, uh, a lot of this theology. Would that, would, yeah, that, would that be correct in saying that? I think that's exactly right. I was, I'm going to read. I'm going to read some of this uh, this anecdote that Olson uh, wrote in, in his article back uh, in 2012, in 2013. But you know, you you said something else, Devin, that I think I want to jump off of here real quick, and that is that that the somehow word of faith is not like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I, I hate to say right. this, but but I think it really is, and, and it okay. is for. For, for several reasons, okay? Because first of all, it does displace God from being God, okay? okay? I think that that is very problematic here. I think the second thing is that it also displaces God's economy. Because in the end, this is not a religion 
about reconciling men to God. This is a religion about finding avenues towards wealth. Okay, and if if in fact they really believe these things, and, and see, I think that that's that's another question that I think should be questioned very thoroughly. If the purveyors of this gospel really believe these things, what they believe has nothing to do with Jesus' sacrifice on a cross. What they have, what they believe, what they have is a is a belief in the material world that is that is uh, it way it, it doesn't it's not even you know eschatological. It's it's uh, if it's eschatological, it's an, eschat- it's an eschatology of the now, that, that every right. moment is somehow a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And, and that's, that's way, way out of there. But I think the other question is, how can these people really believe this? Because every one of them makes these propositions, and not, not a single one of them goes broke doing it. You know, right. the, the problem, the problem in, in Africa, in southern Africa, where this stuff is running around like, like its hair is on fire. And in some cases, that's literally true, okay? The, the, the mm-hmm. reason these preachers advocate this is because it makes them powerful shamans who get all the wealth from a community. So it is right. not a, it, there's nothing about this to me that sounds uncultic. It is very cultic. And it's a thing that it's me. just some... I mean, just to say that it's some kind of merely aberrational Christianity, that it's sort of just off the edge of the board, is I just think that's a mistake. I think we have to see it for the kind of falsehood right. it is, which is, which is it, it, what it really is, is an aberration of charismatic theology. And we can talk, I mean, I don't know if we, we even have time today to talk about whether charismaticism is, a, is, a, is an aberration or a cult. But this thing hops over on the other side of charismaticism and completely ruins any chance of it being true Christianity. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Let me just clarify. Uh, what, what I meant when I said that, and I think you probably uh, would agree, is I, I absolutely believe the people like Benny Hinn and Rodney Howard Browns and these guys are absolute wolves and sheep's gloving. But I think there's a lot of people that may be uh, going to these churches and people that are involved that I, I think are probably saved, and they're just, um, mm. I mean, I'm not saying every single one of them, but I think there's probably people, sure, for sure. example, at Creflo Dollar's church that are truly saved. They're just getting really bad theology. But as far as someone like a Creflo Dollar, I'm with you. That guy is, is he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Nothing Christian sure. about it. Sure. I, 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 well, I mean, I think I would only agree with that to the point that we can say that there are, because the Bible is opened and read in their circles, there are probably right. some saved Jehovah's Witnesses and probably some saved Mormons. You know, right. that would be extraordinary and not ordinary. That would be, you know, that would be proof of the power of the Word of God and not proof of the, of the uh, orthodoxy of any of those, of those teachings. You know, there are, I mean, you know, you've had Catholics on, and, and I would say they're, they're, I'm certain that there are saved Catholics. They're just really lousy right. Catholics, you know, that they just, the, everything that they don't believe about Catholicism, uh, you know, if, if, if somebody was measuring their Catholicism, their Catholicism uh, winds up being nominalism. It's a kind of T-shirt wearing thing where they, where they can't get past uh, the smells and bells, if we can say it that way. And, and uh, I mean, my dad is like that. Let me, let me put it, let me put it out there, you know, if, if if anybody ever hears this, you know, my dad has been a Catholic his whole life, but if you ask him questions about the faith, he's also read his Bible for the last 30 years um, and, and wow. has been a, a man who, who at the end of it, 
he he only I mean there's there's a lot of issues behind this, but at the end of it, the form of the mass expresses to him truths that he can understand, but the truths as he understands them are different than than what the Catholic Church means by them. So so we, we when we look at that, we have to say you know okay it, that's a it's a false it's a false religion. It just so happens to have a Bible open it, and then that Bible saves people. That's that is that is such a good point, Frank. I'm 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 glad you glad you said that and that thought on. That's that's good stuff. Well, um, I actually yeah yeah I actually I I opened that thing about with the uh, the, you mentioned about the Watchman. One of the things that also talked about uh, human beings were created to be gods. Did did you want to talk about uh, that at all, or did you have somewhere well, else I, you wanted to get over? Yeah, we keep jumping around, and I really want to get to this uh, anecdote that Olson that Olson uh, communicated in his article. This is about when he was back at Oral Oral Roberts, and he was a uh, professor there, and they were uh, they were bringing in speakers for chapel, um, and uh, he he says, "I will never forget the day a California-based African American preacher of positive faith and prosperity. He boasted of owning several Rolls Royces, spoke in chapel." We were all required to attend, and with students in wheelchairs in attendance, he shrieked, you can't be a good witness for Jesus from a wheelchair. A dead silence fell over nearly 5,000 people in the, in the Christ Chapel, and then he asked, well, am I right? Now, one usually quiet and very humble professor stood on his feet and shouted through his cuffed hands, no. Okay, so, so you know, when we think about this, but think about what that man was teaching. Oral Roberts brought this guy in, and he was teaching, not only is it your fault, don't have health and wealth, you are actually a disgrace to God if you don't have good health and, and lots of wealth. That's horrifying. I mean, how, do, how, does, how does a theology like that justify martyrdom? Which, by the way, it's the blood of the martyrs that call out to God from the altar in Revelation, how long, God, how long? So how do they justify the blood of the martyrs if it's a disgrace to not be wealthy and healthy? They can't. They have, they have completely abandoned the idea that Christ himself had to suffer in order to, to gain the prize that was set before him. It's, it's a terrible, terrible kind of thinking about God in which all, only our physical needs are the ways that God can express himself to us. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it's unbiblical and, and pagan, really. When you think about exactly. It. Excellent, excellent. Um, where did you want to go next on this? I know we only have. Uh, you know, I, you, you said Devin, you had some clips, and I think the clips would be really useful. If you wanted to whip out some of these clips, and we wanted to talk about them, I think I think the listeners have a basic idea, at least of of uh, of what what constitutes word of faith. Let's let's listen to some folks actually you know, being word of faith preachers and uh, and let's talk about the things they say and, and whether whether or not we can we can gain anything from that. All right, and here is Benny Hinn in his own words. God came from heaven, became a man, made man into little God, went back to heaven as a man. He faces the Father as a man. I face devils as the Son of God. You see what I'm talking about? You say, Benny Hinn, am I a little God? You're a son of God, aren't you? You're a child of God, aren't you? You're a daughter of God, aren't you? What, what else are you? Quit your nonsense. What else are you? 
if you say I am, you're saying I'm a part of him, right? Is he God? Are you his offspring? Are you his children? You can't be human. Yeah, I think the, the saddest part of that is hearing all the people clap and, and cheer at the end of that. Frank, take it away, my friend. Oh, dude, it, it, you, you listen to that. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm not sure it's the clapping that bothers me. It's the fact that he's up there babbling these things. And I, there's so many of these times. I mean, I, you, you watch Benny Hinn, and, you know, his protege is this, is this fella, uh, Joseph Prince. Um, yes. Yeah. They they are they are amazing at the babble that they'll produce that that they'll open up a page of scripture they'll read two verses from it and they will talk in circles about the text until the text doesn't mean anything anymore and they have and they have come back to the place where all everything is just a a, a positive affirmation. Of, of something that ought to be good for us. You know, there's, there's never any idea. I mean, what, what is sin? Sin is when you allow yourself to be sick. You know, what is, what is it that, uh, that in, in, that, in that clip that Benny Hinn just, we just listened to from him, you know, he's, he's really saying that if you deny that you're a God, you are denying that God is God. You're denying that there's any divinity at all. And, and that's a terrible, I mean, that's, that's actually what the serpent says in the garden. How can, how can they miss that? Right. Yeah, there's no saving a statement like that. It just absolutely hangs itself when compared to biblical, you know, sound doctrine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what is, you know, Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples that even you who are evil can give your children something good. Well, what does Benny Hinn make of that? How does Benny Hinn sort that out? There's no way to sort that out because what he's already said is that we're not, we are just like God. Well, Jesus says, you're nothing like God. <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't Mon- understand how... how... Passages ahead, of monotheism, too, yeah. No, I was just going to say the, the passages of monotheism, too, you know, especially them sections in uh, Isaiah. You know that there's there's one God, there's none after Him, there's there's none like Him, there's none beside Him. What, That's what, right. What Benny Hinn is saying is pretty close to uh, what Mormons w- would say. Is that correct? Yep, I would I would agree 100. percent I would agree 100 percent that they are not identical, but they're very similar. As we would say, teaching my son uh, geometry, they're congruent. There you go. <laughs> That's the word for us, folks. Congruent. All right, well, here is Kenneth Copeland, uh, and this this one is pretty surprising because it's, it's talking about the very, uh, you know, God's nature. Uh, is God a, a spirit who is infinite and uh, indivisible, undivided, simple, immutable, or is he uh, a man six feet tall? Here's Kenneth Copeland on uh, God, the Father. The Bible said he measured the heavens with a nine-inch span. Now, the span is the difference, distance between the end of the thumb and the end of the little finger. And, and that Bible said, in fact, the Amplified Translation translates the Hebrew text that way, that he measured out the heavens with a nine-inch span. Well, I got a ruler and measured mine, and my span's eight and three-quarter inches long. So now God's span is a quarter, of inch, a quarter inch longer than mine. So you see, that faith didn't come billowing out of some giant monster somewhere. It came out of the heart of a being that is very 
uncanny the way he's very much like you and me. A being that stands somewhere around 6'2", six, 6'3", six, that weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple of hundred pounds, a little better, has a span of eight and, I mean, nine inches across, stood up and said, Light be! And this universe situated itself and went into motion. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God's wisdom and power were... All right, well, there you have, uh, you know, you have Kenneth Copeland saying that, uh, you know, God as a, as a man created the universe. Now, I guess one of the things we have to navigate uh, through this, Frank, is, and maybe you could talk a little about, uh, about the hypostatic union, because we're all going to agree Jesus is, is fully man, uh, but, you know, Copeland's saying something different, isn't he? Well, there, Copeland is saying a lot of things there, you know, and it's, and it's hard to track because I, I felt like he would say one true sentence and one absurd sentence and then one true sentence and then one absurd sentence, you know, because right. God did speak. The, I mean, that's what the Bible says. God spoke the world into existence. But, you know, to use the Amplified Bible's note that the span of a man's hand is nine inches to extrapolate out that God is six foot two and weighs 200 pounds is, uh, is, is nonsense. It's ridiculous. What that, what that verse in the Bible is saying is that God is so great that he can measure the universe with the span of his hands. That's supposed to be as opposed to you, Kenneth Copeland, at eight and three quarters of an inch. You couldn't measure the universe with the span of your hands. That's what that verse means. But Copeland instead, because he's married to this idea that we are just like God, that he has to manipulate that text to come across and say that God's mouth spoke words of faith. And in order for God to have a mouth to speak words of faith, he's got to be a man just like me. That's, that's a terrifying that, thought, that, that that's the way he would read that passage, that somehow saying that the Lord can measure the, the worlds with the span of his hand, that somehow that means that God is six feet tall hanging out someplace. Yeah, very again, very similar to the way Mormons will read the text because they also believe God the Father was a physical man and, and had a physical body, and they'll point to the same text. Well, look, the Bible says, uh, you know, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, and that the you know the the arm of the Lord is is mighty, and they'll use those same type of passages uh, that yes. are um, trying to think of the um, forget the correct word that is used, um, not analogy, but uh, anthropomorphism. Uh, and try and attribute that as though somehow that's, uh, you know, literal. But, man, that just destroys the doctrine of, oh, yeah. of God as put forth in the Bible. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, you, you, you brought up the hypostatic union. You know, the interesting thing there is that the, the, the thing that's important, there are the things, one of the things that's important in the hypostatic union is to understand that the manness of Christ, is not the godness of Christ, and the godness of Christ is not in the manness of Christ. They are joined together visibly, but God, the godness of Christ, is not the manness of Christ. You know what I'm saying? That 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 there's a there's a place at which God Christ is completely human. That means all of His human attributes. I mean that that the 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 doctrines of of Christ's deity are so, there's, we've, we've, we've defined them so narrowly in the church that Christ actually, he has two natures, but he has two souls. I mean, that's, that's, 
and, and that's such right. a bizarre concept. I, 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 I will live forever. I will have to meet Jesus in heaven to find out if we were right about that one. But that's how we define that, because the godness of Jesus is, is distinct from the manness of Jesus, even though they're both in the same person. And, and yeah, Copeland, he has no idea of that. He's not, even, he's not even oneness in that respect. I think you're right to say that he's a lot more like a Mormon than he is like, like any other sort of cultist, because he's really saying God, God was some guy. You know, and and that's a that's yeah. a I, I, it's a terrifying idea, especially when you know, for example, we could read John one and find out that when the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but then the Word had to take on flesh. You know, well, what do you make of that, Kenneth Copeland? If God, if the Word was the Word and the Word was God at the beginning, there, what about now, where it says the Word became flesh? And and, and you know, what, what do you make? What do you make of that? Because obviously. He couldn't be like God and have a body in heaven if he has to come here and now take on a body. There's there's something wrong with with your theology if you can't make sense of John Ward. Yeah, you know, something that Protestants, I think, could do better, or evangelicals maybe be a better term because some Protestants do, but, uh, you know, the creed, um, reading oh, yes. the creed, under, understanding the creed, you know, the the Athanasian Creed, you know, if uh, if Copeland had read that and understood it, or the Chalcedonian Creed, you know, these, these creeds are kind of like a fence that keeps these heretical doctrines out. And it's, it's you know, I think it's a lot of it is just lacking with e- in, in evangelicalism and learning these creeds and saying these creeds at church. They make you do theology, and they make you think about these things, and they kind of help prevent some of these errors because, Man, you can be wrong on baptism, Calvinism, whether the gifts are for today, but you can't be wrong on, uh, you know, the doctrine of God like that. Not when it comes to an essential right. of, of, who, of who God is. That, that's exactly right. You know, you say that about the creeds in the middle of the Catholic Mass. You know, they always say the creed, right? And it's funny, you know, when when I grew, I grew up Catholic, and I'll tell you what, I, you know, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, and so on and so on. I, I know those words. Those words are burned into my mind, okay? As a Catholic in Mass every Sunday, I, I learned those words. They didn't mean anything to me. They were a line of syllables to me, okay? And then I became an atheist as I got older, as I went to college. I became an atheist because I didn't believe, I couldn't believe in what Catholicism was teaching me. But when I hit rock bottom, that's when I found the Bible and I found Jesus there and he found me there and I was saved. But, you know, the first time I went back to Catholic Mass after I was saved, the words of that creed struck me so hard I actually wept because here are these wow. people. These people are saying these things that are, that are true. It's not just true. There's the life. There's the life that you're looking for. There's the life that God wants for you. And it's right there. You're, you're reciting it the way Christians for centuries have recited it, and you can't hear it because all you're doing is mumbling these syllables. So I think you're right in, in, on one hand, Devin. The creeds can guard us, but I think that there's also a way that they, they become a mechanical thing. I mean, that's just that's my experience. It's an experiential statement there. But, but I think you're right that somehow the creeds could help us here. I mean, if, if you said to somebody, hey, listen, let's read this together and see what you, see what you think. I think all of a sudden, you know, when they find out that this creed is uh, it's older than uh, than Europe, 
You know, they kind of turn their head and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe this is important. <laughs> That's right. Or even, you know, I'm thinking catechizing. Uh, I've got a got a little six-year-old nephew, and uh, he went over the uh, Westminster uh, Children's uh, Catechism. And, uh, yeah, you know, he got clear up to number 60. But, I mean, he could tell you who the Trini- what the Trinity was, whether God was a spirit, who Jesus was. You know, that stuff's important. I think once once you... You get that in you, and you know, uh, you know, some theology. When you hear stuff like that, it's going to be wow. But uh, let me get the phone number out uh, for people. Maybe you're they're wanting to call in. We've got uh, about what 45 minutes left. Seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. Seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. We're here with Frank Turk, and we're taking your calls on the Word of Faith. And you know, you don't have to agree. Uh, maybe you disagree. Maybe, maybe what uh, what we're saying is making you angry. We would love to to have a nice, uh, friendly chat with you, and uh, and reason about some of these things. So maybe we could look at uh, this clip here with Fred Price, uh, and he's talking about about his Rolls Royce. The whole point is, I'm trying to get you to see, to get you out of this malaise of thinking that Jesus and the disciples were poor, and then relating that to you thinking that you as a child of God have to follow Jesus. The Bible says that he has left us an example that we should follow his steps. That's the reason why I drive a Rolls Royce. I'm following Jesus' steps. <laughs> that's terrifying. That, that's terrifying. I, I don't even know how anybody can say amen to that if they have ever opened their Bibles. I mean, that, that's... That's a terrifying thing, you know? How do we make sense of, of the books of first and second, the letters to the Thessalonians? How do we make sense of those books? True gospel is, you are ashamed to God unless you're rich. That is a, it's an absurdity. How do we, how do we make sense of, uh, of the book of Revelation? I've already, I've already said that, but how do we make sense of, of, of uh, chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews if what this guy is saying makes any sense? It's, it's absolutely worthless rhetoric. And, and, and it's just, when I hear these things, you know, I, I try to watch these people to look, you know, liars have tells. Every liar has a tell, you know, that there's something they do, it's a twitch or a hand gesture or, you know, some people when, they, when they're in a stressful situation, they just have a, a body motion or a, a look that you can tell, you know, this is, this, this is this, you can tell that they're not comfortable with this. They know it's not true, but they're going to say it anyway. And, and these guys don't even have a tell. You know, they, they go through these motions, and you watch them, and they're like, oh, my God. Are they that hardened to this lie that they can't see that it's a ludicrous statement? Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. And, and really, what I, I guess why it is so popular is because it really appeals to the carnal, sinful flesh. We, we yep. say, I mean, that's, that's why these are these guys are getting... I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands. Paula White had said something the other day on Facebook uh, to the effect of, uh, basically, you have to unleash this force of faith to let God uh, allow him to be able to come work in your life. Things had over 50,000 likes. And I'm thinking, you know, the only reason people would like that stuff is because, in a sense, this, this is appealing to their desire for, uh, for fleshly things, really. That, I think that's exactly right, Devin. And I, and I think that there's also something else in here for us. You know, I, I, I think that, that we have to listen to what they're saying here, okay? And 
and, and, and there is something distinctly American about the message that they're giving here. And I, and I think that this is something that if, if anybody is listening to this, this, this broadcast or this podcast and they miss this, they are going to miss the real takeaway for people who don't believe this or who say they don't believe this. And that is that somehow an excessive faith in materialism leads us down the same path. It's all of the highlights. Because you know something? I don't think Rick Warren is a word of faith pastor. But it is very difficult often to distinguish his message from a word of faith message. You know, I don't wow. think that uh, I don't think that that uh, that Chuck Colson, by any means, was ever word of faith, any sort of a prosperity preacher. But his faith in the political system was a, was a little scary. You know, I, I think that as Christians we have to respect God's ordination of government, but I think that it's a little scary for us to think that we can we can change the world by changing the government first. We don't change the world right. by changing the government because the government that's truly over the universe is God's government. And even if we have Saddam Hussein or, or some other dictator over us, God has ordained the time and the place of that nation. And our faith is in him, not in the political system we serve. So it's, it's important for us as we listen to these guys talk about their Rolls Royce or talk about their health and wealth, that we have to remember that our faith in the gospel causes us, for example, to want to save babies because they're innocent, you know, that, that somehow an injustice is being done to them. Therefore, we're against abortion. But we're not trying right. to change the abortion laws because we think that our government can save the world. We're trying to save babies, and therefore we work to change the abortion law. We're trying to end murder. So we, we have to make sure that as we come across these things, we can't get our, our order, our, our, our order of, of, of values out of sorts. Otherwise, we're talking about a light version of this same false gospel that these guys are barking out. Wow. That's good. That is, that is powerful, and it should really, really cause us to check ourselves uh, on that as well. Well, I think that that's other, also, you know, Dev, Devin, I think that's also right the lesson that, that – I think that's also the, the lesson of apologetics here is that at the end of the day, we don't participate in apologetics so much that we, we are going to correct everybody we meet, but so that we right. can see the world through the filter of the gospel ourselves so that we are unlike it and more like Jesus. That's the real work of apologetics. Amen. That's, that's good. It's so, it's so refreshing. Uh, it's, it's just refreshing to hear that. And that's, and that's good. And it is, you know, it's one of the dangers with apologetics is, uh, you know, you get, uh, you learn a lot of stuff and it uh, can be a powerful weapon for good or it can be, you know, a powerful thing for bad. And, uh, yes. uh, I, I like, you know, I like how you say that, you know, it's, um, really is not uh, about winning, just winning the argument, but uh, ultimately winning, winning the person and hopefully they see the, the truth of the gospel. One yes. of the more, uh, scary doctrines that, that is put forth through a lot of word of faith teachers is uh, the idea of Jesus and hell. You know, some some of the things uh, you know, not not all the heresies in the word of faith are, are as bad as the other. They're all bad, but there's some that are worse than the others. Um, but the idea of Jesus in hell uh, and the idea that He paid for our sins in hell 
is uh, that's a really serious thing. So let's let's listen to this clip and then love to get your take on that. Oh, I'm telling you, Jesus is in the middle of that pit. He's suffering the very base hand punishment. He is suffering all that there is to suffer. There is no suffering left apart from Him. His emaciated, poured out, little little wormy spirit is down in the bottom of that thing. And the devil thinks he's got him destroyed. But all of a sudden, God started talking. And when God starts talking, can't nobody get away from it. I mean, hell itself ain't far enough. It ain't deep enough and it ain't wide enough to keep the Word of God from coming in there. Yeah, poured out little wormy spirit. This, this is the kind of stuff that just makes you really cringe. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you talk to that. Well, I think it's, <laughs> you know, we go through them all, Devin, and I, you know, you just have to ask yourself, which is the most cringe-worthy? And, and I, I, I'm not sure you can come up with one because every bit of it is so, it's so removed. Uh, you know, I, I say it's so removed. It's, it's like a, an evil doppelganger of Christian teaching. It's, it's, it's this weird thing because we, we believe that Jesus did suffer for sin. You know, we right. believe that he did die for sin on the cross. We do believe that he raised himself up again from the dead. He, he did those things. But this idea that somehow Jesus was a victim of the devil, that Jesus somehow could be a victim of the devil, when it was by his own word and by speaking out the words of God in the, from the Bible, that Jesus defeats the devil in temptation, how can Copeland ever, ever say that somehow Jesus was a puny worm next to Satan? It's ridiculous. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's so absurd that you have to ask, you know, are, are, has anybody in these, anybody listening to those guys ever really read the Bible as it's presented? Even, you know, and I, I'm going to say this, and you're going to get hate mail for it, but even the King James, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't even miss it even though the King James is sometimes hard to read for the modern reader, you just can't miss these things. They're, they're, they're obvious, they're blatant, and they're plain. And for him to yeah. destroy the text like that, you just have to ask yourself, how, how do people get there? How do people get to the place where they will listen to this drivel? Yeah, especially when you have Colossians 1, John 1, Hebrews 1, created uh, well, he created the, the angels, and then Satan, you know, is a fallen angel. But Christ is the creator. The, the creator. He is not uh, the mere creature. It's just, uh, and it just demonstrates the need for good systematic theology and understanding these theological issues. Because this is a grievous error. This is uh, this is bad. This is a this is a yes. really bad error. So yeah, well, that's uh, that's those those were those were some of the clips we had. We wanted to to let you guys hear them in in their own words. And uh, you know, a lot of times you're going to get accused of misquoting people and taking things out of context. But when you can hear this stuff coming out of out of their own mouths, um, you know, there you go. And uh, you know, talk talk to us. Maybe it's up to you if you want to go here, Frank. But about just kind of. Uh, the charismatic movement, uh, maybe in, in general. I grew up in, in an Assembly of God church. My father was a pastor. And, uh, you know, I was sad to see a lot of this kind of creeping into into that uh, into that denomination and a lot of the mainline Pentecostal denominations. 
I know you have a lot of good charismatic, you know, churches such as Calvary Chapel or Acts 29, but it seems to me that the, you know, the word of faith theology, um, you know, you don't see it in Baptist churches. Uh, it just seems mm-hmm. like it really runs rampant within Pentecostal or charismatic circles. Well, I think that that unfortunately is a uh, uh, that's a that's a truth that I think gets gets overlooked. I'm really I was really grateful that that point came out during the Strange Fire Conference. Is that somehow it turns out that that uh, charismaticism, continualism itself breeds this uh, this word of faith idea. Because at the end of the day, you're right. There are no cessationist churches. You know, there there aren't a bunch of, of uh, Presbyterians running around with word of faith doctrine. You know, there aren't a bunch of Lutherans running around with word of faith doctrine. Ironically, there are a lot of Catholics running around with charismaticism and word of faith doctrine. You know, and it, and it turns let me, out... Let me ask you about that. Is it is it because of the view of the of Sola Scriptura, do you think, that they... Uh, well, as far as ongoing, I, I think it's because of I think it's because of the lack of sola scriptura in this respect. Both, you know, these charismatics and 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 you know, you're gonna I'm gonna say this, you're gonna get hate mail because of it, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You know, charismatics functionally believe that that the apostolic seats still exist. Okay, functionally, if not by name, their pastors and and leaders are apostles because they're pastors and leaders can hear from God, okay? And right. once you start going down that path, you are off the path of being able to be corrected, corrected by what God really said, okay? Because if, if they're a real prophet or apostle, they're not going to be able to deny what was really said by God. So, so they find themselves in this position where they, where they believe what these men say in spite of the Bible, you know, that somehow the Bible is a, it, it's, a, it's another conversation that, that can be next to the conversation that their pastor is having with them from the pulpit. And, and that's, that's, that's horrific. That is why this stuff runs rampant in those circles, because there is a lack of, of, of solid ground to set their feet down on. Yeah. I think that's that's exactly right. It's um, you know, there, there's a there's a scripture uh, we were looking. I was looking at a Tuesday night. I think it's Second Peter chapter one, and he's talking um, about when he heard the voice from heaven. Uh, you know, this is my son, and they uh, you know they saw these things. But he went on to say they have a more sure word, and it was it was pointing to the Bible. And I think you know, right. it's, it's kind of right where I live, right behind me. And I mean, literally, like I could pick up a rock and throw and hit it. Is Rick Joyner and the whole Morningstar crowd? <laughs> and uh, within that wow. is also All Nations Church, and probably, you know, it's got to be ten or twelve of these just really bad uh, charismatic churches have, have have popped up. And I mean, it's it's really weird. It's to the point there, there's one. I think it was the All Nations one. Uh, on a Friday night, uh, I used to work third shift, and uh, out here in the country, Friday night, third shift, 11 o'clock, you see like 500 cars driving to go to service. I mean, it was wow. like something out of the movies or something. But, you know, they're they're all over back here, and it's just, you know, a lot of it is just, I think the problem is with this on, ongoing Ongoing revelation, especially with uh, with Morningstar, it's just this uh, desire so greatly to seek signs and wonders, and they have a school you can go to and learn to be a prophet. Um, it's just a lack of big, is, good biblical theology. 
Right, and and you watch those things, Devin, and and you know what 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 really I think tortures me about that is that that really speaks to the to the spiritual hunger that these people have, that they really they they really are looking for something to satisfy them, you know, in a way that only God can. But they have invested all of that in uh, in in an emotional feeling that somehow I'll feel good about it when God finally speaks to me. And, you know, I think the terrifying thing about that is, is that if they did read their Bibles, they find out that everybody that God speaks to, I mean, Al Mohler said it this way, they're all, they're all wetting their pants. They're all terrified by this, by this being that they're experiencing. You know, Isaiah says that he's completely undone. I mean, Peter realizes that Jesus is God. What does he do? He falls on his face in his boat and he says, Depart from me, Lord. I'm an unworthy man. And, and you know how can how can they say that Rick Joyner in his quiet time experiences that same God? Rick Joyner's a clown. Yeah, amen to that. That's more hate mail. <laughs> that is more hate mail. But that is the truth. I mean, that is absolute truth. And you know what? As uh, as Christians, we have got to call that out. You know, and I've, uh, I get in trouble with people sometimes. But you know, if I if I'm going to call a Joseph Smith or Charles Taze Russell or critique Muhammad and this. How can we not call this stuff out? We've got to be consistent. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. No, that, that's exactly right. And, and and at the end of the day, you know, we, we have to remember something. I mean, the accusation that gets tossed out then is that you're ruining the unity of Christ. And the answer is, no, we are not. The ones ruining the unity of Christ are those who are ruining truth because Jesus and the Bible, the rest of the Bible, has told us very specific that unity is not anything but unity in truth. It's unity in the true Jesus and the true gospel and the true God of heaven. It's not unity for the sake of unity. Amen. Yeah, and if, if you're doing unity just for the sake of unity, then uh, that's that's just foolish. Uh, number to call, 760 Three nine zero seven seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. We have about twenty five minutes left. If you're wanting to uh, call and, and talk with us on some of these issues, maybe you have a question or a comment, or maybe you want to challenge us, uh, that would be great. We would we would love to hear from you. One of the, one of the claims that uh, is often brought up is that Christians, and you heard it with with uh, Fred Fry, is that Christians are supposed to be healthy and Christians are supposed to be wealthy, and if you don't have this. Uh, somehow this is a lack of uh, faith or somehow a problem uh, with us. How would, how would you respond to that? Sorry about the uh, siren in the background. Oh, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I hope, you're, I hope you're not getting arrested uh, as we talk. Are we, are you? I'm, out I'm out here in the, in, the, in the parking lot of the gymnastics gym where my daughter's at, and uh, the, the siren just drove by, so I apologize. Could you, could you say, state the question again, Devin? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's no problem. I thought for a second maybe Copeland sent the cops after you. <laughs> but, uh, uh, the question I was going to ask was, like you hear with Fred Price and you hear with these others, that uh, if you're a Christian, then you should be wealthy and you should be rich, and that somehow uh, Jesus won this on the cross for us, and this is somehow part of the – what is your response to claims like that? Well, you know, I think my first response, and, it, and I, maybe it's just the way I'm built. Maybe it's because of the way I think of, of the faith that I have and the faith that I have learned uh, from faithful men and from the Bible. But, you know, my first response is, 
I, I don't understand how that is attached to the gospel that is once delivered. Okay, because on the one hand, you know, I, philosophically, okay, I think it's sort of an intuition that people have is that they think that a good God wants us to be happy. Okay, and you know right. that statement, that statement all by itself is, I think it's true enough. I mean, what, what's the chief, what's the chief end of man, right? To know God and to enjoy Him forever. Okay, so, so in some sense. They're right. A good God does want us to be happy. But what does he want us to be happy with? He wants us to be happy with him and the world that he has given us and the way he has given us the world. You know, we do not dictate terms to God. And, and we have to come back to that and say that the gospel is not about what we want it to be about. The gospel is about what God has said it's about. And when we deviate from that, we have a lot of problems. And those statements from Fred Price they're not, they're, they haven't just deviated from the gospel. I think they have never seen them. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And, I, you know, I also think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook I like the uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and they're constantly, you know, talk, giving us updates about these Christians who are being murdered for the faith and tortured for the faith. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget, it was one Friday, and as I'm scrolling through the computer, um, there's a picture of Joel Osteen in his book, you know, Every Day is Friday, really promoting this book. And right below it was a link from the Voice of the Martyrs with a clip of a Christian who was getting beheaded because he refused to recant the faith and he refused to give up Christ. And, you know, right. it almost brought tears to my eyes to see that, to see such, uh, just such a contrast between true biblical Christianity and just con men. Well, you know, and, and I think one of the things, Devin, that that's, that can really, when we when we really kind of dig, dig deep into this and, and try to sit in the middle of it with these guys, you know, uh, a guy like Joel Osteen gets called onto Piers Morgan, and Piers Morgan tries to beat him up over the fact that that Joel Osteen might believe that at one place in the Bible, God says that homosexuality is wrong. You know, but when has Joel Osteen ever preached that? He has never preached that. You know, he's a... He's a sitting duck for something in the Bible that he's never said anything about. But, but then the flip side of that is, you know, what is Piers Morgan going to open up the Bible and find out that Joel Osteen is preaching a false gospel and that, and that somehow riches is not God's end for us, but something else is? If somebody asked him those questions, you know, there, there's no answer to that. His answers would look so daffy, he'd, he'd just have to be carted off the stage. Right. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem. I I, I think too with this is, uh, you know, you got to have pastors that are trained theologically. And he's, I mean, he openly says he doesn't have any theological training. And it's like, how do you have the largest church in America? <laughs> it's like having the largest, you know, clientele uh, as a doctor and have never been to medical school. And in my opinion, these issues with spiritual, uh, you know, the spiritual issues are far more important because they're of eternal value. And you just wish, you know, people would kind of think through some of these things. It's um, a real tragedy, a real tragedy. So, yes, you have that claim of Christians should be um, healthy and wealthy. I'm trying to think, what are what are some of the other more popular claims that uh, you hear from, from Word of Faith teachers that maybe we could address? Well, I, you know, honestly, Devin, like I said, I mean, I, I don't really dip my feet into it. I mean, the few times that I uh, – that I, that I do sort of try to experience it for the sake of, of making sure that I, I still know what these people are talking about. Uh, those, 
those are few and far between. You know, I think the last time I really sat through an hour of a, of a word of faith preacher saying things that make me go crazy was uh, the last time I was at a conference with Justin Peters. Uh, but you know, I, I think that that for us, the the the, the places. The places that are most important for a person concerned about these things to touch down are this, okay? What is the gospel? And, and you know, that's always a worthy question when we enter into apologetics. Because the answer to the question, what is the gospel, it, it determines everything else. Because it, 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 I'm sure you've read it in my blogging in some places. There are necessary consequences of the gospel. And that's sure. how apologetics ought to work. If God is real and Jesus is a real person, truth, of true things that happened in history, and there are necessary consequences from there. And, and when, we, when we start there with what is the gospel, the next step is what, what, is the, what does that mean for me? You know, what are the necessary consequences for me? And that's when this word of faith stuff starts to come off, the wheels start to come off of it. You know, if the gospel is that Jesus died for sin, and that we have to repent of sin in order to receive the forgiveness that he bought, then, then all of a sudden this question of what I want becomes diminished in a way that it's almost unrecoverable because it's not what I want. I have to look at what I want and find out if that's what I'm supposed to want. You know, that, that, that's how we dismantle most of the culture's demands on us, by, by finding out that the culture wants things that God doesn't want for us. When we, yeah, when we continue to... Go ahead. Go, no, go right ahead. Uh, it, it's just when we, when we keep moving forward from there, you know, the, the necessary consequences of the gospel, then all of a sudden we find out that, that because it's true, we should tell other people about it. We should tell them the truth about it. Well, when we're telling people the truth about it, that means we can't really invent our version of it. We have to tell them the things that God has said about these things. And then it turns out that we'll be persecuted, right? God even warns us about that. That's the big, that's the big red light that God puts above the gospel. Not that if you believe the gospel, you'll be healthy and wealthy. If you believe the gospel and you're like me, Jesus says, the world will hate you because the world hated me first. So, so we wind up we wind up finding ourselves moving from the truth to the truth, and as we do that, it pushes all of the debris out of the way. It pushes all of the false things that false teachers spill out uh, out of the way, and, and gives us gives us a place where we can actually speak to people about the things that ought to matter to them, and and it's going to make people angry. I mean, I, I think that 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 is the most important reason. Uh, when we are conducting evangelism or apologetics, that we do it in a way, uh, in, in a language that people can understand. I mean, I think that, that it, it's, it's not right for an apologist to, uh, to, to say that he's an apologist when, for example, as, as you have pointed out, you know, he couldn't recite any of the creeds. He doesn't know any of the history of the church. He's probably under-equipped to actually answer the answers of, answer the questions of most heretics. But, uh, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we have to break out the Latin and, uh, and the Greek right. and the Hebrew, you know, that at the end right. of the day we have to speak to the people we have and we have to answer the questions that they have. Gosh, sure. and, and, and this word of faith thing, it is an insidious thing because every one of us, you and me included, every one of us are Americans and we want, we live 
you know, one of the things that has really, and, and, and it's part of the reason I have taken a, a hiatus from blogging right now, Devin, is that we are all very much indoctrinated with, a, with, an, with an American middle-class sense, an American middle-class sense of, uh, of what we ought to have, what's right for us, what, does com- what ought comfort to look like and feel like. And that, that is a very diabolical thing when it comes to our spiritual lives because at the end of the day, there are things that we as American Christians call persecution that is not persecution. It's just disagreement. It's just the way the world will naturally treat us when we, when we actually act like the gospel in front of us. And, and, and we, should, we should be very wary of, of dumbing down the statements, you know, the, the, the definitions of things like persecution and sin, by the way, so that so that everything can skate by us. Well, I think that's that's exactly right, and the answer really is in the in the gospel. And a true understanding of the right gospel is going to expose a lot of the uh, errors of uh, of the, the false gospel and the false theology put out. Let's uh, let's do this. We've got about ten minutes left, uh, folks. We're going to go ahead and take a break really quick, and then we will come back uh, with Frank. We'll have him wrap up for us, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. So uh, stay with us. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. If you had one minute to be able to unpack for the audience, we interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Dr. Howe, what do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? Jehovah's Witnesses, let's look at what they believe about Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe that Jesus Christ is Michael the Archangel from the Old Testament who became a man in the New Testament, did his work for God, and then now is Michael the Archangel again. So he's not God in the flesh as Christianity and the Bible has always taught. What would they say about salvation? Most of these groups, in fact, I don't know any of these groups that, that, that doesn't say that salvation is by works. And, note, and Jehovah's Witnesses are very explicit that a person cannot be saved by faith alone, but has to do the appropriate works in order to be able to be with God after death. John MacArthur with another edition of Portraits of Grace. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purifying a heart is the work of the Holy Spirit, but there are some things you must do in response to His prompting. First, realize you can't purify your own heart. Next, put your faith in Jesus Christ, whose sacrifice on the cross is the basis for your cleansing. Finally, study the Bible and pray. As you do so, the Spirit will continue to purify your life. There's no greater joy than knowing you're pure before God and that your life honors Him. May that joy be yours today, and may God use you powerfully for His glory. This is John MacArthur, looking forward to bringing you more Portraits of Grace. back with Frank Turk and we're looking at the issue of uh, word of faith theology. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. Uh, it uh, will be podcasted for those who are, are listening live and uh, you know share it with your friends and uh, get it out there. You know, uh, you know Frank doesn't make any money coming on the show. I don't make any money doing the show. It's a, it's a labor of love. It's because we love truth. We think truth matters and we want to see uh, people come to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as well as those Christians uh, who are, you know, who are already, you know, trusting in Christ. We want to to be able to equip them, and we want them to help, uh, you know, think clearly through these issues. Uh, and that's, you know, that's why the show is, as you know, as you listen, uh, it's not about me at all. It's uh, it's bringing, uh, it's not about the guests either. It's, it's about Christ, but of course. The guests that I, I bring on are, are always, uh, you know, top-notch. They help us think clearly through these issues. So uh, feel free to, you know, get this get this message out. We don't make a dime on it. It's a labor of love. It's, it's because we love Christ and, and we love people. So with that being said, uh, uh, Frank, you know, one of the things I was, I was thinking here, um, also a good view of God's sovereignty would put, put Word of Faith theology to bed. You know, if you really see a lot of the trials, you know, that we go through, um, I'm thinking, you know, of myself, 2011, I came down with the swine flu uh, here in Charlotte, and it almost killed me. I mean, I was in a coma wow. for, yeah, I was in a coma for a month, I was in the hospital for 72 days, uh, and it left me disabled. I mean, it's left me with permanent scarring in my lungs, it's left me with, uh, uh, terrible nerve damage in my left leg. So I've got to either be in a wheelchair. I've got to walk with a cane, and uh, you know, physically, it left me in a bad way. But I'll tell you, you know, when you're going through those things, you wouldn't prefer it, of course. But you know, looking back, you know, this has brought me a lot closer to, to my family, to my wife, uh, but also closer to Christ and being able to know that you know this, uh, this stuff doesn't happen for for no reason. And even though it may not be something I have chose, I know that God is, you know, far wiser than me, and that I can trust Him. You know, C.S. It was either Paul Harvey or C.S. Lewis that God doesn't build build stairways that uh, go to nowhere. And so, for myself, you know, I can look at these afflictions. Uh, my life has totally changed. I can't. I haven't drove a car in three years. Not able to work right now. Uh, on pain medicine. On all kind of on all kind of medicine. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't trade it because it has brought me closer to Christ. And, it's, uh, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it's, it's about our holiness and our, and our happiness, as the old cliche says. And, uh, you know, uh, with uh, with a word of faith theology, you know, as center, I don't know how you could say that. It would be more kind of blaming myself or something. Give, give me your thoughts on that, on, on suffering and the sovereignty of God. Well, I think that's I think that's exactly right, Devin. That 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 there is uh, that they they say. I, I heard some conference speakers say this. I, I I couldn't tell you exactly who, but they say that John Piper says that suffering is a marvelous hermeneutic. And what wow. he means by that is this: is that what we don't understand this life, and we don't understand the Bible until we ourselves have suffered loss. Uh, Suffering loss is is the only thing that causes us as people to 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 long for something that's better because you know it's it's very easy. I mean, I, I hate to I, I I hate to keep coming back to this, but it's very easy for us because we live so far up above subsistence to be dissatisfied even with comfort because it is so we are what our next our next threshold. Of, uh, of enjoyment gets so much higher. It is in suffering that we find out who we really are and how frail we really are and how 
how we are made. And, and really, it also ends in our life where we are selfish. All of the places in our life where we realize that, you know, we, we, we throw about, especially, I don't know, I guess you're a reformed guy like me, but we throw about this, the word idol, you know, like, like everything's an idol and, uh, and we should beware of idols and, you know, it just becomes this word that we throw out there. But when you suffer, you really do find out the things that are more important to you than God is. And the places where your priorities are out of sorts with what God really wanted for you. It, it causes you to see the world in a different way. And in seeing the world that way, we're able to read the Bible the way God intends us to read the Bible. Because we read it not from our strength or our wisdom or even our teachability but from the place where we realize that we are frail and we are made of dust and we need something more than our own power in this universe. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I remember when I was, I was at my worst, they were taking me back to intubate me because my lungs had filled up uh, with, with pneumonia and I couldn't breathe. And I, just, I knew something had to be done or I, I, just, I was going to die. And I didn't know, you know if I was going to live or not. No one really did. But, you know, I remember as they were taking me back to the to the room to put the tube down my throat and intubate me, that, you know, I may not wake up. I might not wake up from this. And I really started thinking, you know, um, it was it was being because I, I was able to hold on to these precious theological truths. And uh, even apologetics played a, played a part. I mean, we don't want to admit there's doubt, but I promise when you... <laughs> When you think you're going to die, you, you do start having having some doubts. And it was really thinking, you know, I know God exists. I know that the Bible is the word of God, and these are the reasons why. It gave me such comfort, and I was able to, to pray and, you know, knew that whatever happened, you know, it was going to be, be in God's plan. And so, you know, it, it's really important uh, to have, uh, I think, a biblical perspective, a God-centered perspective instead of a man-centered uh, perspective, because uh, it's easy for us to just think uh, God owes us, and uh, that kind of thinking will just uh, it devastates us. Yep, yep, that's exactly it, David. That's exactly right. And anybody, anybody who's listening right now, I just want you to consider. First of all, thank you for hanging in there with us for ninety minutes. Uh, you know. This was uh, interesting to me and Devin. We hope it was interesting to you. But I want you to really think about this in your own life. You know, we always pray, you know, that God will protect us and keep us safe. But let me, let me say that the most important thing we should do is that God should keep us safe from our own sinfulness. And if that means that God is going to take us to a place that we wouldn't go ourselves, it means that he has done that for our good. You know, one of the things we have to recognize from the Bible is that God does things to us and for us that we wouldn't do for ourselves that are better than what we would have chosen. They are better. And, and, and you know, Devin, I honestly wish we had another half hour so we could go through all of that, especially starting from Exodus. You know, that, that Exodus is a marvelous it's – a, it's, a mar, it's, it's obviously a historical account of what happened to the Jews, but it's a marvelous example of how God does something better and we spit on it. <laughs> we would rather have what we would rather have. So, but 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 as the people who are listening to this listen, I just I just really want to encourage you. It's your life the way it is because he's trying to make you who he wants you to be. But you can't figure that out by yourself. You need him. You need his word 
And because you need him and his word, believe it or not, you need his people. And if you reject those things, you will never be what God wants you to be. Now, you, you might stop suffering some of the things that you suffer today because you have given up other people and, the, and the, the objective measure of God's word and have given up God himself. But you will never be what God wants you to be, and that means you're giving up what you could have been in God's eyes, God's own will for you. So I encourage you to make sure that you stay inside those boundaries. Good advice, Frank. Really appreciate you coming on the show. I know you got to run, and I would love to have you back on sometime, and maybe we can do another show on this, or uh, you've got a vast amount of knowledge, so I'm sure we could pick your brain on a number of different topics, and I uh, would love to have you back on. Yep, I love to talk to people, Devin, and I really appreciate I really appreciate you inviting me. Thanks for, thanks for thinking of me. Hey, no problem. God bless, and thanks again for coming on. Thanks, my friend. We'll, we'll talk to you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Uh, again, uh, you know the show will be podcasted. Feel free to, uh, to, to listen to that, download it. Next week, uh, we're going to have Shandon Guthrie on the show and uh, going to be doing a uh, debate on uh, with an atheist, actually, uh, on the uh, existence of God. And uh, we've got it kind of formatted out, so it'll be, be an interesting show ask you guys uh, to join us for that. And, uh, you know, stay, stay, stick around. We've got some, some good shows uh, coming up here in the future. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys we're going to have on is uh, Jovan McKenzie. He's coming on here uh, probably within uh, the next month or so. And uh, he and For His Son did uh, a video dealing with the Word of Faith movement in a, in a rap song. And I wanted to play that for you folks and uh, let you guys uh, enjoy that and kind of get ready for him to come on uh, in another uh, month or so. And so I'll close us out with that song. And, uh, again, it's on YouTube. It's uh, IV His Son or For His Son. And uh, Jovan McKenzie uh, also uh, appears in the uh, in the in the song and does a little bit of bit of rapping. So, hope you enjoy the song, and we will look forward to uh, talking with you guys next week as we do the debate with Shandon Guthrie uh, on the existence of God. God bless. Listen up, listeners. I just ask of you one thing. Please listen to the scriptures that is in this song and go back and study it. Please listen yeah. to them. Write them down. Study uh. it. Let's do it. Here they go again. Hating they mad. Money they making they feel like I'm taking from their pockets because I'm singing the truth. I'm talking biblical proof. You don't want to hear it. It's true. Hope the spirit's in you so you would understand. Man, I'm sick of man. Look at what they teaching when I turn on TBN. Look at all these heathens. Thinking about giving. Not concerned about true repentance. Look how they living. But you tell me just forget it. Romans 16, listen. Mark those that cause division. 2 Timothy 4, boy, they is the ditching. Proverbs 28. Look at verse 23. He that repeats from more favor than he will flatter speech Come on and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5 Verse 12, we not supposed to judge outside No, but if they claim to be in the body, we let them have it We'll do them sharply, that's what God commanded When you speak the whole truth, it's true Everybody gets disappointed, disappointed.
Trinity, and he also preaches against Christ's deity, and he's all about prosperity. If anybody goes to this church right here, New Birth, Eddie Long's church, after all his sexual scandals and all his heretical preaching over the years, I pray that you would come out, because it's doctrines of demons. Google the names, look up websites like alil11.com, and please do your research, look at whole messages, and come up out of these churches in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 